I, uh, I want to take a moment and welcome some of us. Uh, we've got some friends online with us. The uh, Steve and Celeste Gay, Joe Locke. I hope your knee is uh, is feeling better. Um, Cheryl Ramsey, Mary Cartier, um, the Hajars. Love you guys. Continually praying, lifting up uh, you, Doug and Linda, and um, the Sibleys. Miss you guys. Uh, my uncle Dick Murdoch and. Uh, uh, Sarah Gildart, and as well as Jen Leach and her girls. So um, anyway, just uh, welcome. Thanks so much for, for being with us today. And um, we're, uh, we're kind of in a, in a series going through, through the book of Second Peter together. And we went through chapter one and then chapter two last week. And, and now we're, we're kind of finishing this up, wrapping it up in chapter three. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, just, you know, you get your U version or whatever, open that up. Make sure that you've got it open to Second uh, Peter chapter 3, because um, uh, we just believe that the Word of God has the power to change. And so uh, I may have some things to say, but, um, but make sure that you have your sword in hand and, uh, and, that, and allow God to be able to change you through His Word. Uh, last week in, uh, in chapter 2, Peter was warning us and warning the people that he was writing to, exiles, people that were all over the place, um, of false teachers that were preaching a false gospel. And uh, he's like, uh, essentially, most biblical scholars believe that Peter was addressing a specific group of false teachers that were called the Gnostics. And one in particular belief or teaching that he was addressing, that we can tell even just from reading through chapter 3, is this belief that they were teaching that Jesus was not returning. He wasn't going to come back. He was, there's no second coming. There's no judgment day, no rapture, no left behind book series. Um, that, that just, that's not happening. Jesus came, he died, he, he was buried, rose again, and then, but, he's, but he's not coming back. So there's no, there's no anticipation for that. There's no expectation of that. There's no, um, you know, Jesus, d- don't expect him to, to, to come back. And this flies in the face of countless Old Testament prophecies as well as the, the words of Jesus himself. He says in uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 40, and this is just one of many times, he says, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. And so Peter's reminding them, and he's reminding us that the, the truth is that Jesus is returning. This is the hope that Christians have had. And, uh, and, and this was the, the urgent hope that Peter had, that Paul had. We read throughout the, the, the writings, especially of, of these, these early apostles. Like he's, he's, he's preaching and teaching that, that Jesus' second coming is at hand and that it could come at any moment. And yet, we're still here 2,000 years later wondering, like, is Jesus, like, when? Is, when is that going to happen? And, um, and I want you to just, I, w- I want you to just realize and, and just soak in this for a moment that, like, um, I don't necessarily think that we, be- that we would necessarily say, yeah, we believe this Gnostic teaching. But when was the last time you woke up in the morning with your eyes open and thought, I wonder if Jesus is coming back today? I wonder if today is going to be the day that the heavens get ripped open and he comes with sword in mouth and on this white horse with a, a tattoo on his thigh and robe dipped in blood and eyes like fire coming to, I mean, uh, it, when was the last time you woke up and just thought, I wonder if that's, is that going to be today? And if so, like, how would I live differently if, if that were to happen? And yet it is the tenet, it is the thing that, that we hold, um, that we hold to, that, that the second coming of Christ is at hand. 
And I just want to I just want to encourage you because I think that there's something in it for us today, even as as Peter's encouraging these people. Um, just and we sit here two thousand years later, kind of not necessarily saying we believe this, but but many times living like we do. So he, he starts out, and he starts out with, in chapter 3, in, in verse 1, he says, dear, dear friends, that's how he starts this whole thing out. The actual translation, translation is more than friends. If you've got a different version of the Bible, maybe you've got like a New King James version, I believe that they translate it. I, I like it a little bit better. Um, it's kind of an old word, though. It's beloved. He calls you beloved. He's like, hey, beloved. It can also be translated as favorite. He's like, you're all my favorite. Hey, favorite. Um, he's writing to these people that many of them he doesn't necessarily even know personally, but he's like, you're beloved. You, you, you are my favorite. You are God's favorite. And I wonder if that, like many times, then he's going to lay into some things for like to, to warn us of and to remind us of. But I wonder if sometimes um, in an attempt to be right, we lose sight of being loving. I love that he starts out just by saying, y'all are my favorite. I love you. You are the beloved. And, uh, and, and I, I look at today's day and age, and I think that a lot of times we think, what if I just like yell louder or argue better or post more facts, then I'm going to win somebody over? How's that working for us? I think that many times we don't open somebody's ears until we open their heart. And we think, if I could just yell at them and and argue with them enough or tell them my stance, then they're going to open their heart, and, and they don't barely even open up their ears. And so Peter's writing almost kind of like a grandfather to us. He's like, hey, hey, like, I love you. You are my beloved. You're my favorite. Like, how can I be your favorite, Peter? Like, how could every single person that's reading this be your favorite? Because he's loving them like a father loves his kids, differently and yet equally, right? If you've got multiple children, I remember when I had my second kid, it was like, how am I going to love this kid? I mean, I love this, my, my daughter so much. How can I, do I split my love? Does it go to, to two of them? Do I, am I going to love this one more than the other? And, and if you know this as a father, you, you realize that God just kind of births something in you that you love them differently and yet equally. Um, and he's like, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. And he loves them like a father because the father's heart can break down all kinds of barriers. And so he just, he just lays it out. And, he, and, and, I, and I wonder if, if, what would it look like if you tried to open the hearts of people rather than open their ears? What would that look like in our day and age? I'll leave that there. Verse 1, he continues. He says, uh, dear beloved, he says, this is now my second letter to you. We already read First Peter. And he says, I've written both of them as, as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So Peter's reminding them, he's like, he's like, I'm wanting to stimulate you to remember. I'm wanting to, to you, for you to recall something. So what is that that he's trying to get us to remember? He's like, Jesus is returning. I know, I know it's been a few years he's writing to the, I know that, 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 that you're kind of like, yeah, but, but when is he coming? I want to stimulate you. You're remembering that Jesus is coming. You need to be prepared for his return. And it's weird, even as I think this, even as I've been praying through the scripture this week, I'm like, you know what, I, many times I plan that I'm going to die before Jesus returns. I'm not going to say I'm going to die this week, I'm just saying like I'm going to die at a ripe old age, probably before Jesus returns. I don't normally wake up and live my days wondering, I wonder if today is going to be the day. Like, is this going to happen? Is today, is today going to be it? I don't wake up thinking, man, I'm looking up in the sky in the morning. Who's this? Who's that? No, it's just a cloud thought it was ripping open there over there. You know, I thought there was like a rip in the atmosphere. No, no, no. Like, like 
I, I wonder how many of us actually um, have our hope anchored in that which Peter is saying is the very hope that we live for. And he continues in verse 3, he says, um, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. This is kind of weird because he says, like, um, he's like talking about scoffers. We don't use that word a lot. What's a scoffer? Well, he tells you they scoff. People, scoffers scoff. Scoffers, he says it, scoffers come scoffing, which um, still doesn't make any, any sense to us. So it can also be translated as mocker, a mocker, like mockers mock, scoffers scoff. Um, let, me, let me explain to you. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, talks about mockers. He says, do not rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. So what do we learn from that? We learn that, that a scoffer or a mocker is somebody that actually doesn't want to change. They just want to be right. So you try to rebuke a, a scoffer or a mocker and they hate you for it. But the wise person is the person that receives rebuke and loves you for it. So, so in essence, the, the, the question is, how do you receive rebuke? Because the way that you receive rebuke actually dictates whether you are the mocker, scoffer, or the, the wise so a scoffer is somebody that doesn't want to change. They, they just kind of want to remain the same, and um, they simply desire to be the smartest person in the room. Social media is a breeding ground for scoffers. I think we call them trolls these days. Is that, is that the word? Trolls? No? Tough crowd. All right. All um, right. These are people that want to be the smartest person in the room, and so they think, well, I'm just going to, uh, I, you know, I'm just going to, you know, make fun of you or... Um, I'm going to kind of belittle you. Um, some of you are like, I have Facebook friends that do that. Yes, I, I, and you're like, man, I've got friends and family that do that. I'm going to have to spend some time with them for like Thanksgiving here pretty soon. And um, yeah, I know what a scoffer is. I know, I know what a mocker looks like. These are people that you can't really talk about God around because they'll just make fun of you or belittle you or kind of make you feel less than. And um, essentially a scoffer I like this definition, is a person who treats lightly that which should be taken seriously. A person who treats lightly that which should be taken seriously. And so what does that look like? It means like, okay, you, like you, you, make a, you try to make a wise decision and then they, they make fun of you or they shame you um, for doing it um, and, and they try to shame you into compromising. So they say things like this, like why would you ever give your money to that? Why would you give your money overseas to that? Why would you give your money to a church? That, that is a complete waste of your, of your time and your money. Like, why would, you, why would you be such a prude sexually with your girlfriend? Like, I, I don't even understand why you would do that. I mean, after all, you need to, like, test drive the car before you buy it. Like, why in the world would you act that way sexually? Like, th- that doesn't even make sense. And Peter says that scoffers scoff or mockers mock because they want to follow their own evil desires. That's what he says. I mean, you can read it for yourself. He says, this is why they want to follow their own evil desires. They want to continue to live in their sin. So if you really get to the heart of it, that's why scoffers scoff. That's why mockers mock is because, because I actually don't want to change. I want to be right. And so um, when we have false teachings that we believe, they create false idols that we defend. And never is that true than, than when you try to scoff the Word of God. If you choose to say, you know, I, I, I'm this, I know this is the way, the truth, the life, whatever, this is the word of God, but I'm going to scoff that, then it becomes a false teaching that we believe, which becomes a false idol that we defend, which is why, which is why mockers and scoffers are so belligerent. 
right? Like, I mean, this is why you're just like, I, I cannot believe this. Why? Because we have an option. Like when you have the Word of God and then you have our, our own lifestyle, either we choose to, to make our lifestyle match up with the Word of God or we have to scoff the Word of God and, and say, you know, I just, I, I, gotta, I gotta throw that away. I know you say it's the way, the truth, the life, and all this type of thing, but like I, if I don't want to, to live to that, then, then I have to scoff it. I have to push this thing because I can't hold those two things in tension. And this is what Peter's talking about. He's like, hey, beware. Like, the, there, there are people who, who although you're, you hold on to the Word of God as, as the truth, that, that will actually push the truth away because they want to continue to be right. And he says, so what are they saying? Verse 4, he says, They'll, they will say, where is this coming that he promised? Where's this Jesus that you're worshiping? Yo, he's like coming on his second coming. And he continues, says, Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on since it has since the beginning. In other words, like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, you believe that Jesus is coming back, but he hasn't. At least I haven't seen him come around lately. And everything seems to be chugging along just like it used to. You know, people are still the same and, and, and life and continues to kind of go in the same place that it, that it always was. And, and I, if we're really honest, I mean, those are questions that we wrestle with ourselves, isn't it? Like, Jesus is coming again, right? But I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm not holding my breath, right? I mean, like, it's been 2,000 years, and, and Jesus has still not yet returned. And I mean, if, if, if back when Peter's writing this, he's like, hey, be, just be ready because Jesus is coming quickly, then we have a very different definition of quickly. I mean, this is, this is his heartbeat. This, he's like, be prepared. In other words, it's more important that you're prepared than you know the day that he is coming. And Peter responds to this. He's like, and in verse 5, he says, but they deliberately forget. And this is, the, this is the whole crux of what he's trying to argue. He's like, they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Peter is reminding us and he's reminding them, hey guys, don't forget the power of the word of God. It has the power in and of itself to fulfill itself. Don't forget that, that, that when God says something, he means it. And he kind of like brings them back. He's like, remember how when, when he created the world, remember when he said, let there be light, and all of a sudden a glowing orb just shone in the middle of nowhere? Remember when he said, let there be water, let there be sea? Like when he created in creation, it was actually the release of the word of God that created it, and it all happened suddenly. It wasn't like a buildup where I'm just like, oh, I'm seeing a, a light faintly. Like, he speaks light, and when, it, when he speaks it, it actually is released. Remember how God spoke things into existence. Remember how literally he holds things together by his very word every day. That you have breath in your lungs and he is continually your provider. He didn't just, you know, make you and create you and then let you go. Like he is continually, has, has his eyes on you. And, and everything that, it, that has come into existence came into existence by God simply unleashing his word. It's the power of the word of God. And he goes on, he's like, not only that, not only think about creation, he's like, he talks about Noah in the time of, of Noah's ark and the flood. And um, he's probably, Peter's probably remembering Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus is actually talking about his second coming. He says this, verse 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Catch this. For in the, the days before the flood, people were eating, 
drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Think about that. There was a, the, Noah is literally building a huge boat in the middle of present-day Iraq, okay? They've never seen a flood before. He's like, hey, just to let you know, I mean, there's going to be, God told me there's a flood coming. They're like, what's a flood? Well, the water's going to like come and it's going to engulf everything. And they're like, what, what do you, I have no idea. I've never seen that before. What are you even talking about? He's like, just get prepared. And I'd, li- I'd, li- I'd like to invite you to come on this to, to save you and all these things. Nobody expected a flood. Why? Because they'd never seen one before. And what Peter is, is trying to communicate to us, just because you've never seen it doesn't mean it won't happen. Well, you know, I've just been waiting and, and Jesus hasn't come back. And so, I, you know, I used to think about that. And I, used to, I used to be prepared for it. And I used to think maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus is going to come back today or what. And then it didn't happen. And, and, and he's like, it's just the same way as with Noah's Ark. It happened just the same, even though they had no idea what to expect. That the Word of God has the power to break in at any moment to accomplish His will. And, and maybe you're in this place where you're like, yeah, I understand this, but I've had this sickness, I've had this thing, I have this, I have this issue going on with a loved one, and, and it's just nothing's changed. You don't understand, it's been a week. You don't understand, it's been a year. You don't understand, I've been dealing with this for 10 years, and God's like, I just want to remind you the power of my word, that I have the power to be able to break in at any time to accomplish my will. And if I've prophesied it, then my word does not come back void. It actually has the power in and of itself to fulfill itself, even though you look around and you're like, I I don't know, I just don't feel like we're any closer to it. This is exactly what Peter's saying. You're not going to actually know. You're not going to feel like this buildup of like, man, Jesus is coming any day. I can feel it. You feel that in the atmosphere? You feel that? You feel It's not going to happen that way. All of a sudden, it's going to literally come. The Bible says like a thief. Just like literally just the, the, the heavens open up and it's the very thing that, um, that our faith is, is anchored in. And, and I don't think that we consider ourselves scoffers. I, I don't consider myself a scoffer. But the definition of a scoffer is someone who takes lightly what should be taken seriously. So we may not think that we're scoffing at God, but when was the last time that we woke up thinking, today's going to be the day? Oh man, that'd be awesome. Can imagine what this is going to look like. It's going to the you know the, the the heavens are going to be ripped open, and and my Savior will return. The day that I have looked forward to. Because the Word of God is is powerful enough to literally create and to change the course of history. So why would we think that it is too weak to do anything differently today? Amen. It's this powerful thing. And honestly, I don't think that we preach about it or talk about it very, very much, this, this expectation, this anticipation of that day, the day of the Lord, the day when the Lord arrives. I think we plan to, to grow old and try to live well and, and die one day at a ripe old age when we're ready to, but, but do we really have our heart anchored in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? We, we celebrate his coming at, at Christmas, but, but our eyes are truly looked looking to, to the second coming of him in glory. And he says this in verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day.
It's this reality, and we've talked about this, that, that God kind of exists in time and, and also resides outside of time. That, that we talk about these two different ways that we measure time. We measure it in chronos, and he measures it kind of in, in kairos. And chronos is all about, you know, minutes, days, weeks, months, years. And, and kairos is this, uh, this idea of kind of like the fullness of time. This is how God measures time. He, he operates in kind of the fullness of time, that he's never late, and he, he's, always, he's always on time, that he works in time, but he's not limited by it. And for us, we're always concerned about measuring time and saving time, and it's all about, you know, time as a reference point and a schedule and appointment. But God is, for t- time is just a place where he resides. It's just like he just lives in the past, the present, and the future. He's there. The Bible says that he, he is, he was, and he is to come. That he just resides in that. And, and for us, it's like the, our, our brains are like, I don't even understand what that even means. What does it mean that he is the uncreated one? Like, he has no beginning and no end. There was never a time where God was a baby, where, where, he, where he was birthed. Like, he just always is and was and is to come. Always has been and always will be the uncreated one. Our minds cannot even wrap around. We're just trying to figure out, okay, once I die, and then what does eternity look like? God's like, uh, I just live in that. Past, present, future is all the same to me. I, I just measure everything in the fullness of time as I operate with you. And in John, in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus actually says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. He didn't say, before Abraham was born, I was. He's like, before Abraham was born, I am. I is, I was, I am, I is to come. Like, he's like, I am. This, this powerful thought of, of that he exists in time, but also exists out of time, at the same time, all the time. Like, this reality that, that he measures it very differently than we do. And because of that, verse 9 this is, this is why it matters to us. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I don't know about you, but like, God seems slow sometimes. You've got like promises, things that you're holding on to in your life, and I always think that he needs to like speed up a bit in my life. You know, when I, I have... I go on like road trips with my kids. What's the incessant question that they ask all the time? Thank you. Are we there yet? And I, as a dad, just say 20 more minutes. We could be on a six-hour road trip. And are we there yet? Just 20 more minutes. You can hold on. Just 20 more minutes. We're almost there, right? Are we there yet? Just 20 more minutes, right? Because in the moment, you feel like you're never going to get there. And I usually feel like a lot more prepared for a blessing than God seems to want to give it to me. God, am I there yet? Why, why are we not there? I mean, I, I know this promise, and, and yet why am I not walking in it? And I think that God knows that a blessing out of season can actually become a burden. That, that there, there's this preparation process that, that, that a lot of times when we see that like God's slowness and his delay means denial, but it doesn't necessarily mean denial. Sometimes it's God's way of preparing us for the, for the promise. It's like, am I there yet? Are we there yet? When is this going to happen? And why are you saying no? He's like, it's actually not no, it's not yet, because I'm trying to prepare you for the promise so that the blessing doesn't become a burden in your life. Because sometimes God's way of um, 
of delaying things for us is a blessing in disguise. And that's a hard thing for us to, to come to, to, to reality with. But he's talking about, don't, don't think that I'm just slow. He says, don't, essentially, don't, don't mistake God's patience for slowness. There's a great theologian. Um, his name is Gandalf the Grey of uh, Lord of the Rings. You may have heard of him. Um, he said, uh, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Was that pretty good? No? Thank you. That is, um, I, when, whenever he said that I, when, in the movie, I was like, man, that is so good. Like, it's this reality that God isn't ever early and he isn't late. He, he arrives precisely when he means to. And sometimes it seems like it's late for us. Sometimes I was like, my, why, am I, why are you so slow? And the question here that, that Peter's addressing, why haven't you come back yet? Because he's patient. Because he's patient. Like God has a rescue plan for, for men and women that, that, they would, that he would give them more time to repent. That's why he holds back. That he wants men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation to be saved. And he sees it all. He sees the mess of this campaign. He sees the mess of this election. He sees the mess of all this stuff going on. He knows about COVID-19 and all this stuff that goes on, and yet he holds it back. And what is he holding back? He's holding back his wrath and his judgment because that's when, when Christ comes, the day of the Lord. There's this day where he comes to judge the living and the dead, and yet he holds it back. He holds it back even when people scoff at him, even when people mock him. He holds it back even when, when we see young girls sold into sex slavery and, and, and traded like a commodity. He holds it back even though he sees people being persecuted or even killed for their faith. He holds it back even when he watches his believers you know, trade pornography for monogamy, for monogamy and marriage. And he, he continues to hold it back even when there's wars and rumors of wars and when people don't do what they said that they would do. He, he holds it back even when he watches the killing of, of, of millions of unborn babies. He continually holds it back. Why in the world has Christ not come back? Because he's patient. Because he's merciful. Because he's long-suffering. He's holding it back for millennia so that we might hear, repent, and believe. And I think what Peter is saying to us is that it's actually God's patience that it is his love in action. It's his love in action. He isn't wanting to bring judgment. He's waiting for repentance. And that, that's the, that, I mean, that is like the, the significance of what, of what Peter's saying. It's like God isn't slow. He's patient. He's waiting for us to turn around. So don't mistake his patience for slowness. Don't mistake those two things. It's actually his love, his love in action. Verse 10, this is what he says, um, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Do you know why people are freaking out lately? Have you noticed? I don't know if you've noticed. People are very passionate <laughs> about everything really doesn't matter what the topic is. Um, people are very, um, very passionate. I was, I was praying about this. I'm like, Lord, why is this such a, a, a day that people are so amped up about everything? Um, and I felt like he was saying, it's because they think that the world's going to end, but not in the way that I planned it. We think, well, if, if Trump gets reelected, the world's going to end. If Biden gets elected, the world's going to end, 
right? If COVID-19, fill in the blank, the world's going to end. Because, I mean, like, if we're honest, then in our freaking out, we're convicted that the world, this world, is all that there is. That's it. This is it. Today, tomorrow, this world is all that there is. And if we're not careful, and this is the sobering thing that I I hope you get today, if we're not careful, then we begin believing the false teaching that Peter is warning of us in this letter, that Jesus is not returning. There's no second coming. This world is all that there is. There is no hope. So get all you can get. Store up as much toilet paper as possible. Why? Because the resources of this world need to last forever because this world is our eternal home. So put all of your hope in politics. Put all of your hope in the kingdoms of this world and get mad about everything because if you're not mad, you're not paying attention. Spoiler alert. Jesus is coming again. It's actually the hope that we're drawn to. And um, it feels weird. I'll be honest, even as I preach this word, I know it's the word of God, but um, I feel the pushback in the spirit. The resistance of that, of this word. The feeling that like, I don't necessarily know if I, if I agree with this, that, that our hope is that Jesus will return again. Peter says that you should be excited about it. He says in verse 13, But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I mean, that is truly what we look forward to. I wonder how many of us like, have, our, have our hope hangered there, that that, that, that that is the promise that we anticipate. He says the day of the Lord will come like a thief. How does a thief come? Unexpectedly. Don't you wish that a thief would just give you a call, like, have some decency to text you beforehand? Hey, by the way, I'll be there in like 15 minutes. I'm going to rob you blind, right? Just be ready. Just be prepared. I'm, I'm going to be showing up. You know, do what you want to do. If you want to leave the house because you're a coward, go ahead and leave. But if you've got a gun, you might want to get it loaded because I'm going to be there, right? I mean, like, that's not at all how a thief comes. A thief comes unexpectedly. You don't expect him to show up. And this is exactly what Peter is saying. This is exactly what, what Jesus said time and time and time and time again. And in fact, the, the fact that it's been longer actually means that it's, the time is only shorter. So how do you prepare for it? He says it. He actually tells you how to prepare for the unexpected. Verse 11, he says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. He says, live holy and godly lives. Not only that, look forward to the day of God. Anticipate it like a thief, unexpectedly. And then he says, the third thing is speed its coming. Did you know that you can actually speed up the day of God? You can speed up the day of God. Pastor Jeff showed us this many years ago, Matthew 24, verse 12. It says, because of increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Catch this. We have this role and responsibility to preach the gospel to all nations. And then the end will come. So how do we actually um, 
speed up his coming, we preach the gospel to all nations. It's, it's why we're, we're, we're an evangelical church. It's why we, we, we pour our money into the nations because we truly believe that we are speeding up the coming of God. That we're not supposed to just hunker down in our own little church and in our four walls and just pray and think, oh man, God, God if we just hold on by the, the skin of our teeth, hopefully we're going to make it another day. No, he's like, I want you to overflow. I want that, that what, I, what I put in you to overflow to others. And my patience is demonstrated that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our beloved, I wish we could get kind of this vision of how God loves us. So there's that, remember in the, in the beginning I, I was saying that like he called us beloved? This is actually a term that he uses all throughout this, this, this whole letter. And, and just in this one chapter, he uses it in verse 1, verse 8, verse 14, and verse 17. He calls us beloved. He calls the apostle Paul beloved in verse 15. I mean, he just kind of keeps going on and on. He keeps saying, and don't, rem- and, and, and don't forget this, beloved. I want to remind you of this, beloved. Hey, and, and beloved. He, he, he keeps saying, my favorite, you're, 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 you're beloved. Where does he get this word from? I'll actually pull you back to a word. He actually heard this word, beloved, spoken from God the Father twice in his lifetime. Peter did. Once at the baptism of Jesus, and another time at the Mount of Transfiguration. That word, beloved, was actually used twice, heard from the audible voice, ripped open heaven, voice of God, the Father, speaking about one person, Jesus. He says, this is my, what, beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He said on both of these occasions. It's weird. that, that You'd think that that would be a word that kind of Peter would be like, I'm kind of going to reserve that for Jesus because it kind of is Jesus's thing. And yet God, in all, in all of his love for Jesus, is actually saying, no, I want my church to be called beloved. And I just think that like there's somebody in here that may even need to hear that personally right now, that you are beloved. You are worthy of love. You're God's favorite. Did you know that? You are. You're, you're God's favorite. You're like, how can we all be God's favorite? Because you're his beloved. Because what is true of Jesus is true of you when we're in Christ. It's this, it's this I, I just want you to rest in that, this reality that like God is working. And he says this, essentially you can trust in the Bible and you, you need to know that you're beloved. Trust in the word of God and know that you're beloved, because this, this heaven and earth will pass away. But what remains is the Word of God and the people of God. The Word, the Bible, and the beloved. Why don't you stand with me? It's weird. This is kind of like a heavy word, um, and yet it's not. Like, this is kind of the, the word that, that, uh, that our hope is anchored in, that our hope rests in, and yet it seems a bit um, odd to us, doesn't it? I just want to encourage you, church. I know we've been saying throughout this whole time, you know, and the, the, kind of the, the tagline through much of this tumultuous season that we're in is that we're citizens of the kingdom of God and that, you know, that, 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 that our hope is in Jesus Christ. But, but Peter reminds us that, that we don't just aim to, you know, go to school, get a good job, keep going to church, 
Try not to screw up too much. Retire so that you can live in Boca Raton and then die one day at the age of 99 years old. Like, he's like, we live with the expectant hope that Christ will return. What, what does that do? It changes how you live today. That we're not aiming to 99, we're actually aiming for today. Because like, what, what, if it, what, if he, what if he chooses today? Well, all of a sudden, it puts a little bit of urgency on us. All of a sudden, we turn from a scoffer that takes things lightly that should be taken seriously to, to realizing, like, I know I've been kind of poking around the, the edges and kicking tires at this whole Christianity thing, and, but I, I just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. All of a sudden, you're kind of like Susan where you're like, I mean, Jesus is so real to me and real to her. You should have heard her when we were talking. Like, that she just knows that she knows that she knows that Jesus Christ is her Lord and Savior. And so even in the middle of COVID-19, when you got to wear a mask, she's like, I'm going to go get dunked in front of a whole bunch of people. Because why? Because it's my first step of obedience to say that Jesus Christ, before heaven and hell, my friends and my family, he's mine and I am his. And I, and I have this expectant hope of the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's everything that we do, what we live for, and certainly what we die for. And not for the sweet by and by when heaven comes or we go to heaven, but even if he chooses to come down, what, is, what does that look like? What, when I think of the second coming, I mean, I, maybe I've read a, a little bit too many of those books, right? Those uh, Left Behind series. I, I, I see this, the, the, the fiery-eyed sword coming out of his mouth, tattoo on his thigh, robe dipped in blood, riding a horse, heaven's ripped open. It's like, what in the world? But do you know this, that like, it, honestly, it seems that something of this actually uh, pr produces a little more fear than excitement, you know, because there's always this like, was I left behind? Right? I see people like teleporting, you know, beat me up, Gotti. You know, like you're just kind of like people going up and down and thinking, I hope, I hope he chooses me. I hope I get to go. But do you know that the reality that the, the second coming of Christ, the picture that is all throughout the scripture is actually a wedding feast, the uniting of a bride and groom. That this should be a day that you're preparing for, that, you, that you're expectant for, that you make Pinterest boards about, that you invite your friends and family to, that you, it's a celebration and a culmination. And our job is to simply prepare ourselves to be holy and set apart, to not take lightly that which should be taken seriously for the day of his returning. Not to get so caught up in the affairs of this world that we lose our focus on what it is that God has called us to. People. People. That we'd not get so concerned about being right that we just forget about being loving. You don't just win because you win an argument. You win because you win people to the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you, church. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are continually guiding us, leading us, and that our hope is not in the sweet by and by that one day when we cross over to the, the wild blue yonder that, that we get to meet you face to face. But Lord, we wait with the expectant hope and the anticipation that that could be today. Whether, whether something happens on the way home today as we go or you choose to come today in your second coming, we wait with joyful expectancy for our bridegroom to come. And Lord, may we be ready. May we be found pure and holy and expectant for you to arrive. Not just at 99, but today. 
So Jesus, I just pray for those maybe in there in here today that are just like, yeah, I, I think I, I think I definitely need to just make this decision today. I just want to encourage you. There's nothing magical about this. I'll, just you could just pray with me. This is a simple prayer, Lord Jesus. I realize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, and I've been kicking tires for quite a while. But I desperately need you in my life. I see the freedom in the life of others, and I want that for myself. And so I believe, God, you sent your only son, that he came, that he lived, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live all my days, however many I have left for him. So Jesus, have your way. I pray for the infilling of your Holy Spirit in those right now that desperately need a fresh infilling. I pray that that would just, that they, as they walk out of here today, would know that they know that they know that they are meant for more than this. I pray that they wouldn't waste time, that they would invest it, however much time they have left. And Lord, we repent for trying to build our own kingdom when we're supposed to be building yours. Lord, we thank you for your word. We trust it. And I feel completely flabbergasted that you would call me beloved, that you would call us beloved, favorite. Lord, we worship you and we give you all that we have. We live for you. We live for you. We live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Church. I love you. You are beloved. I want you to, I, I just believe, I say this again. I think there's somebody in here that needs to hear this today before you leave, that you are God's beloved. You're his favorite. You're his favorite. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. You are his beloved. Dear friends, have an amazing day in God. Who knows? Today could be the day when the heavens split and our, and our Savior returns. Amen? Let's live with expectant hope of the arrival of our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome week.